From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, April 2nd. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Roundtable regulars Imogen Rose-Smith and David Bank to break down Impact, ESG, and fossil fuel free. Hey, David. Hey, Imogen. Hope you both are having a great and not just a good Friday. Hi, Brian. Hey, Brian and Imogen. Great to see you again. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. It was Infrastructure Week, for real this time, in Washington and Pittsburgh. President Biden's American Jobs Plan is a green light for investments in water, clean energy, and electric vehicles. One major focus is a resilient two-way electric grid to, quote, electrify everything, with lots of local generation and storage. Think solar panels, wind microgrids, and big banks of batteries. At Impact Alpha, we're also keeping a close eye on software and artificial intelligence for demand management and grid resilience. Here's a stewardship challenge. Turn ExxonMobil's climate liabilities into assets. Large asset owners and managers will be on the spot at next month's shareholder meeting. Activist investors, led by Engine No. 1, are pressing for the replacement of at least four members of Exxon's board, with experts on the transition to a low-carbon economy. Meanwhile, Inclusive Capital's Jeffrey Ubbin has joined Exxon's board of directors to press for change from within. The basic idea? Manage Exxon's long-term decline by focusing on avoiding or reducing carbon emissions rather than producing them. In DealFlow this week, Ethic raised $29 million to create customized sustainable investment portfolios for wealth advisors and specifically for partners like Fidelity. Capital Impact Partners and CDC Small Business Finance moved even closer together, combining real estate and small business lending to create a community financing powerhouse with $3 billion in assets. Greenwood, the Atlanta-based online bank, started by former Mayor Andrew Young, rapper Killer Mike, and others, raised $40 million from name brand investors, including JPMorgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and MasterCard. And here's an interesting idea from Harlem Capital, Culture Carry. The New York-based venture firm closed its second fund at $134 million and expects to invest in 45 companies led by diverse founders. Those founders in the portfolio will each share 1% of each fund's profits, or carried interest, giving them a stake in how all of them perform. David and Imogen, it was bound to happen, an ESG whistleblower. Tariq Fancy, who was BlackRock's chief investment officer for sustainable investing, called out ESG and sustainable investing as greenwashing and, quote, little more than marketing hype, PR spin, and disingenuous promises from the investment community. As you can imagine, that set everybody off. Here is Fancy on CNBC. The issue is that the entire system doesn't work. And where BlackRock is culpable is that it's promoting a thesis that tells people that these products whether done correctly or incorrectly, whether they're sloppily made and they include a name that they shouldn't or the opposite, they're telling people that these things have social impact. And I can't stress enough, there is no evidence that any ESG ETF has any positive social impact that I've seen. There's no evidence that by buying a low carbon ETF, you are actually going to lower emissions. There is evidence that fixing the rules of society through government regulation actually can do that. So, David, does Tariq have a point? Is ESG just uh, a bunch of greenwashing? 
Brian, Tariq obviously does have a point, and it, it, in some sense, that's why it it struck such a such a nerve. I'm not sure it's exactly the the, the right point. Uh, he's absolutely correct that private markets can't uh, turn these problems around on on their own. So that point, I think um, everybody's in kind of violent agreement. What the is sort of more of a nuance, and 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 I'm sure Imogen will have something to say about this, is whether ESG is a step in the right direction that sort of sets up the platform or the foundation for for more steps in the right direction, or whether it's, as he says, a kind of placebo that sort of distracts everybody from the real challenges ahead. Imogen, what is your take on this kerfuffle? Um, I think it is, like, I think it is a bit of a false narrative. I think that, you know, it's obvious that a lot of the major financial institutions are not doing ESG out of the kindness of their heart. Um, they're doing it because they recognize a commercial opportunity and they're doing it for their brand. And I think that a lot of it is marketing and PR. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that somebody who was involved in ESG at such a large institution as BlackRock and, and such a commercial institution as BlackRock would have had that experience and have those views. I don't think that makes all ESG investing bad. And I don't think that that makes all investment managers who are offering ESG products and strategies that bad. bad. And I don't think that it makes anyone who's investing in an ESG ETF, you know, stupid or naive, right? I think that, that there's a lot to be critical of ESG about and there's a lot of pushback and a lot of scrutiny and a lot of questioning that has to happen. But the idea that that we want to have better uses of our capital and investment investment better investment strategies is not in and of itself a bad thing. And the very fact that we're if you think where we are today versus where we are were five years ago, the very fact that we're having these conversations and that these major institutions are recognizing that they have to be in these conversations is, you know, in and of itself valuable and useful. If it was me, would I choose to like do ESG investing at BlackRock? Absolutely not. I think there are too many conflict conflicts and too many challenges for, for a BlackRock type institution to really be at the forefront of the change that needs to happen. But to sort of damn the entire industry and the entire sector because of that, you know, seems kind of unfortunate and a bit self-serving. Well, I think I think you're right, Imogen, and, and I'm afraid we're, we're in danger of being in agreement here. But what I started to think about was what the claims actually are. And if people do think that moving their IRA or the 401k or their other accounts from, you know, something you know, broad S&P, you know, index into some kind of ESG index is, is going to, um, you know, change the world, you know, that is probably a, you know, a marketing pitch that they shouldn't have fallen for. What I do think is happening is that companies are being held much more to have to report things. I mean, starting with carbon footprint, but going on to water use and gender pay equity and diversity on the board and a whole bunch of other sorts of things, supply chain, uh, human rights violations in the supply chain, all of those reporting requirements, whether they're mandatory or voluntary, are kind of grouped together under ESG. They're now scrutinized by investors as signals for either good management or, you know, various kinds of rep reputational and other risks. And that 
sets in motion a kind of logic that does allow for, you know, some separation of the kind of leaders in each case from from the laggards. And so it's not that that any one investment obviously, you know, changes any of the particularly even the cost of capital for these companies. It's that this mindset, as you said, sets up a basis for having a discussion of what, you know, sort of responsible governance, responsible corporate behavior actually is. Right. And, and is it perhaps he's setting up a false dichotomy here where the answer is ESG or nothing? Um, or ESG and no government action. Um, and I think that a no number of people in the sustainable investing and responsible investing communities would say it's yes and, not either or. Well, it's an odd week to be talking about, you know, whether it's only the free market or, or government when um, we've had a U.S. government make a announcement of a major, major commitment on infrastructure and and centerpiece of that being, you know, green green jobs and, and green infrastructure, um, which will, by the way, float a lot of boats on the in, in ESG portfolios because the kinds of companies that are in those portfolios would stand to benefit from some of those investments. So, in fact, it kind of works the other way around, which is that the ESG investors are betting precisely on government policy that's going to make their um, their their bets pay off less so than being the leaders of, of, of that um, that they may be the followers and but in some sense they're the constituency for that kind of policy as well yes and no though I think you know I it does concern me when the asset management community is the arbiter of what is and isn't ESG. Right. I don't think, for example, that the Larry Finks of this world do necessarily want better regulation, particularly around the asset management industry. Um, and, you know, it, it's unclear what the what they want in regards to climate policy. So so I do I do think in that sense, I do think that, you know, as, as ESG gets co-opted by mainstream finance and asset management, I do think there is a is a danger that it it becomes a placebo and it becomes you know a vehicle for the continuing enrichment of the very few rather than having a more serious conversation about in part what what, what about finance where how do we need to change the capital markets so that they in turn are, are more equitable um, and aren't just sort of sucking assets out of the system. I, I agree with that. And I, I think that the Europeans are sort of in the lead of, of having various uh, government mandates for sort of disclosure and, and, and comparable metrics and, and a kind of uh, reporting regime that's not just, as you said, voluntary by the asset managers themselves, which effectively it has been in the US, but even the SEC and others are, are, are here are making steps towards that. So, you know, there's a danger for the government to decide as well of what, what ESG is. And, you know, this will all be fodder for, for great debates going forward. Um, but I do agree that that it's not shouldn't only be um, sort of self-regulation, obviously, by the financial industries or even by the, the companies themselves. But going back to Fancy, he says in the conclusion to the piece he wrote, you know, quote, we're running out of time and need to accept the truth. To fix our system and curb a growing disaster, we need governments to fix the rules. 
And I think on that, um, there would be a number of uh, people in the uh, sustainable impact investing communities who would violently agree and say that um, it's it's not about just allocating to an ESG strategy and then um, stepping back and say, applauding yourself for uh, solving uh, the world's problems. I think it's, um, it's part of a mosaic of solutions, um, and government certainly has an enormous role to play. And I, I do think that the pendulum has been shifting um, in recent months from a 40 plus year uh, cycle uh, of focusing on the free market at all costs and government as the problem uh, to now I think there is a recognition, especially in, in a time of COVID and a time of recessions and, and a time of economic uh, inequality and upheaval, that there is a, a very strong role for governments to, to play in this. And I think that pendulum is shifting. And I think that um, ESG is a part of that conversation. It's not the, it's not the only piece in that conversation. I mean, what is certainly interesting is that the Biden administration, from my understanding, is is really, from my understanding, and, and you're seeing it, evidence of it come out already, that they're really putting ESG front and center and in a lot of these conversations that they're having. It's gone from being something that, that was on the sidelines, you know, that was kind of nurtured under the Obama administration Obviously, there was a lot of work that was done on impact investing in collaboration with the Obama White House, but it was, you know, relatively speaking, small scale. Um, and now, you know, and then clearly there was a four-year hiatus under Trump with some efforts to sort of push back on the whole ESG discussion. And now it's literally at the center of the policy discussions. Like that, that is a... a a huge change from where we were even four years ago. And one of the interesting little nuances is that uh, must have been Tariq's uh, former colleague, Brian Deese, um, who came from BlackRock and joined the administration at the head of the National Economic Council, um, is one of the champions both of ESG investing, as you said, and also of, of, of climate action and choosing to do it now uh, inside the government, not, not inside BlackRock. Indeed, that's a great point, David. But before we go, uh, Imogen, I understand that you have a new column coming out in your series on institutional impact that touches on some of these themes. Can you give us a, a quick preview? Yeah, it talks about so, some very similar themes in regards to what does fossil fuel divestment for institutional fossil fuel divestment and net neutrality claims mean for institutional investors? So you have all these asset owners who are claiming some degree of fossil fuel free and or are projecting sort of net neutrality goals by sort of typically 2050. Um, and in fact, we know that, you know, the investment in fossil fuel companies and fossil fuel securities is in many respects only increasing. So, and we know that a lot of that capital is being held by asset owners. So there's a real disconnect between what allocators are saying and what they're doing. And, and that, you know, creates sort of risks and unintended consequences. So again, it's sort of this theme of, it's not just enough to say, oh, we're going to be fossil fuel free, or oh, we're going to divest from, you know, X, Y, Z. We really have to look at what our institutions are doing and what they're investing in and what impact that is having on you know the economy and the risks associated with climate change. 
All right, well, we look forward to reading that in the virtual pages of Impact Alpha. Thank you so much, Imogen. Thanks, Brian. And thank you, David. Thanks to both of you. That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. They're made possible by Impact Alpha's subscribers. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to impactalpha.com and more. Podcast listeners get $100 off their annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for your $100 off. Thank you to all of you for listening. And thanks to David, Imogen, and our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company, Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.